Welcome to the Imago Day Community Podcast. Good morning, Imago Day. Pastor Mike here. So excited to be with you all again this morning. I'm going to be coming from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21, and I'll be reading from the NIV. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for this Imago Day family. Thank you for the opportunity to be together. And we come to magnify you, to extol you, to praise you. We give you honor. We give you reverence. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would take the words that I would speak today and that you would send them to each individual who would hear, that they would not just hear my voice, but that they would hear what you desire them to hear and to receive and that their hearts and our hearts and our minds would contemplate what you would have us to take from this time together today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's read together verses 16 through 21. That's again, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Here we go. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And as you know, in this series of Jars of Clay, we've been looking at this theology of spiritual formation where we are formed by the Spirit into the image of Christ and we give ourselves fully to Jesus Christ for the sake of others. And when Paul is going into this 16th verse, it, it almost feels like he's talking about the posture of how we do so. He talks about in verse 16, not regarding anyone from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. 50 of us might think 50 different ways about a certain thing, but there are ultimately only two points of view. There's a worldly point of view and there's a kingdom point of view. Even when we look at verses, verse 15, where it talked about um, all have died, and then Christ has died for all, if we stay strictly looking at it from a worldly point of view, we just stay there in that all have died. Through the lens of the death that we all have died and will die, but from a kingdom point of view, we realize that he, Jesus, has died for all. We look through the lens of the life that is available to them, to us, to all, in Jesus Christ. And as we talk about spiritual formation, this is not even just about how we think about others, but how we think about ourselves. Satan, the accuser, the deceiver, the prince of the air, the liar, is always trying to get you to consider yourself from a worldly point of view. 
He will use whatever forces, whatever spirits, whatever people or other agents in an effort to reduce the work of Christ in your life, to reduce the work of what Christ has done in you and for you. But God wants you to remember that, like verse 17 says, anyone who is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. Y'all, this is identity right here. If you are in Christ, the essence of the new creation for you begins now or whenever it is that you were saved, whenever you received Christ. What, what is this new creation about? God restoring all things, God making all things new, God reconciling all things. Your life is in Christ and it's not just some idea to look forward to after you die, but it's about a reality that God has put into effect in the here and now, though it won't be fully realized until Christ returns, that you are in Christ and new creation has already begun. So Jesus is admonishing us through Paul to live from that new point of view, to consider things in light of the cross, to consider people in light of the cross, to consider your own life and your own failures and your own mistakes in light of the cross. So we have a new point of view, a new life. The old is gone. It's been destroyed. It's no longer in existence. And the new life is here. But how? Well, verse 18 says, all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. All of this is from God. It says, therefore, if any, anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. The ESV said it this way, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And then verse 10 comes and says that all of this is from God. All of this originates, was initiated, worked out, and accomplished by God and God alone. And it's the same God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Well, what does that look like? Verse 19, it's that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. It's this reality that to be reconciled makes us a part of the reconciling work. When you join the team, it ain't just for you to be able to say I'm on the team. It's so that we might be able to go and get others to be on the team. Not because God just wants to have a large team, but for their own benefit, for their own sake, that they might be, their soul might be reconciled unto God. This is not a message that we take and hoard. This is a message that we take and share and spread, especially to those that we say we love. You can't love me and not tell me this truth. God has done everything necessary to reconcile us back to himself. 
And it is our role. He's committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 20 says this, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Listen, it, 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 is, it is who we are as the people of God. Because there's no ambassador without you first being a kingdom citizen. You don't become an ambassador of Christ, an ambassador of this message of reconciliation without being a citizen of the kingdom of God. And you don't become a citizen of the kingdom of God without first being a son or a daughter, a child of God. If this is all connected. So it's not like we become children of God and then we stop. No, in being a child of God, we are kingdom citizens. And as kingdom citizens, we are ambassadors of Christ. We take his message and we take it wherever he sends us to go with that message. And verse 21 says this, that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And if there were just two things I think that we wanted to be clear from this series, I say that that is these two things. One, the reconciling between you and God is a work done completely by God through the spirit of Jesus Christ. And two, there is not one of us who has been reconciled to God, who hasn't been given the ministry of reconciliation. Our being reconciled is for the sake of others. The work the spirit is doing us, making us more into the image of God is for the sake of others. We give our lives fully to Christ for the sake of others. Now, many would love for this ministry to stop at just telling someone about God, but it doesn't. In, first, in, in, in Colossians 1, we read that God was pleased to have all of his fullness to dwell in Jesus Christ and to reconcile all things to himself through Jesus Christ, whether things in heaven or things on earth. How? By making peace through his blood that was shed on the cross. Listen, the gospel is the power unto salvation. And as we behold the glory of God with unveiled faces, the spirit is making us more and more into the image of God, changing our hearts, giving us new godly desires, giving us new points of view, giving us new eyes to see through, giving us new points of view and eyes and ways of engaging people. And after seeing the example of Jesus Christ to lay everything down for the sake of others, Paul was compelled to do the same. When he recognized the grace that was shown to him, a guy, Paul, who then was Saul, going around approving the murders of Christians, and then he was proven to be wrong, it fostered within him a humility for those who are on the wrong path because he remembers that was me. And maybe they just need to have their own encounter with Jesus, who is the gospel. And so if God was so gracious to share it with Saul, who became Paul, and now says that I'm committing that message to you to maybe in interrupt someone else's trajectory, 
that they might repent and turn and follow Jesus. Jesus didn't need Paul. Knowing, knowing that he, he was going to, to approve the, the, the murder of Christians, he could have struck him down at any second. But Jesus saw fit to go to him, to reveal himself to him for his sake and for the sake of others. Paul had influence. Saul had influence. So this man who's this on fire against me, what damage could he do for the kingdom of God? And that's a, that, that's a positive thing. When you do damage for, it's a cultural thing. So anyway, but what damage could he do for the kingdom of God if he truly understood, knew, believed who this Jesus Christ was? And so now Paul contemplates that fact that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. How far was God willing to go for our sake? He was willing to allow the one he loved the most to become the thing that he hated the most so that we, his enemies, would not just become his friends, but his essence, an inextricable part of him, his very own righteousness. That's what that verse said, that we might become the very righteousness of God. And he tells us to consider this and to go and do likewise, to lay it all down for our enemies, to love them in a way that no one would believe, to love them in a way that they definitely would not even expect, to love them in a way that Jesus loved us. So how will we respond, church? Will we look God right in the face and say, nah, they're not worth it? I, that's true, but was I worth it? Were you? Jesus, man, they're, they're, mess, they're misrepresenting your name. Like, nah, we ain't, we not messing with them. They, they misrepresented Jesus' name more than Saul. They were against Jesus' name more than Saul and his, his, his croonies. Some of us have hardened our hearts and our lives and, and, and we live lives that proclaim, Jesus, I love you and I, I'll receive your gift and your grace and your love, but I will not share it with those who need it the most. I will not, I will not share it with my enemies. I will love and serve and forgive those who I like. I'll spread your message around those in my, in my camp those that I, that I agree with, those that I can tolerate, but I have drawn my line with a Sharpie. No erasing that, Jesus. And Jesus wants to remind you, and he wants to remind me, that your very life, like mine, was so badly and deeply stained with sin, far greater than that of a Sharpie. 
Yet Jesus did not allow our pride against him, the stench of our self-righteousness, nor any other variable to deter him from shedding his blood on a cross to completely remove the stain from us. Paying the ransom for our lives, redeeming us, reconciling us back to the Father forever. And so in our spiritual uh, development, in our spiritual formation, this is where we're going. This is where we are aspiring to. And we live in a culture where that's not cool. We're, we're living in a culture where the closer you are getting to this, the more ridiculed you'll be, even by those who call themselves Christians. To forgive without all the box being checked. I'm not saying that that there is no responsibility to those who offend, for those who uh, commit crimes against someone, to those. I'm not saying that at all. But through the Spirit, God has given some a supernatural ability to consider the grace that has been given to them and then to apply it to others. And when they have done that, sometimes in the media, the culture will villainize them. And the very virtues that we should be aspiring toward, we are mocked for and told that we are less like Christians for forgiving, for trying to love our enemies, for seeing the God in them, the Imago Dei in them, and deciding to not allow the boxes that we've created for them to be all that identifies them. To, 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 to refuse to not reduce them down to who they voted for or whether or not they say all lives matter or black lives matter or any of these variables. Now, yes, there is much conversation to be had. There is much debate to be had. But do we realize that when we do some of these things, we do the very, as a black man, some, uh, the reason I can't get with a lot of this is because it's that very diminishing that led to slavery. It's that very cherry picking the scriptures and going to the scriptures that I, that I like and that, I, and that I love and that affirm what I already want to do, what I already want to believe. That's the very thing that had people who looked like me enslaved. And so now I can't endorse that we do it to any other side, to any other people, to any other group. Now, as believers in Christ who have been reconciled, do we have a, a responsibility and an opportunity to have conversations about some of these political um, uh, ideas and, and political stances? And most definitely. But when it comes to the point that you recognize that I disagree with you, am I now allowing your stance on this issue or that to determine whether or not you are redeemed? whether or not you are reconciled. Once you have landed on the side that is opposite mine, do I no longer seek your good? Do I no longer love you, serve you, humble myself? All in all, what I'm trying to say is this. We are a people who are reaping the benefits of a righteous, just God. 
giving us what none of us deserve. God was not lonely. The Father, the Spirit, the Son, chillaxing in the Trinity. Yet out of his love went to these measures to become sin that his enemy might become his righteousness. And so with all of the rhetoric going around, with all of the cultural what's right and wrong and whatnot, I just wonder, are we looking to, to, this, to this reality as the barometer, as the thing that we're juxtaposing righteousness, justice by, or is it something else? Are we looking at a God who has made us in his image or have we made another God in our own image? And, and now there's a lesser degree of justice, a lesser degree of righteousness that we are trying to hold people to. Because if we're living from the reality of this gospel and this message of reconciliation, I believe there would be a lot more humility. I believe there would be a lot more mercy. I've seen some things where we are even equating ourselves to the prophets where we are declaring ourselves the righteous against other believers that because they think differently, vote differently, believe differently, see things from a different vantage point are the unrighteous. And I just don't know that we fully have contemplated what we are doing when we do that. And so Imago Day, this thing about this, this kingdom reality this us living in an upside down world, this living contrary to the culture, I think is more real now than it's ever been. And in this America where Christianity and America have always tried to seem as one, there is becoming a very real distinction between what is Christ-like and what is not. And more and more, I think it's being revealed. America is not the kingdom of God. America is not God's ideal, is not God's best, is not the best that God had in mind when he wanted to establish his kingdom. America is not what he had in mind. Yet, America is a country filled with people that God loves. And by his grace, he has sent ambassadors that he has committed this ministry and message of reconciliation to, to go and spread this news, this good news, this better news, this better way. So we can be Americans and proud Americans. I love the fact that I'm an American. But first, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. So let's live lives of worship to our king in light of his work on the cross, his grace and his mercy for us. And as we consider our own lives from that vantage point, let us give our lives fully to him 
for the sake of others. Amen.